Hi, I'm Hope and this is the African Pre-Seed Podcast. As always, if you're a founder or investor keen on learning more about the African tech ecosystem, we've got you covered. In this episode, we take a deeper look into the state of women-led entrepreneurship in Africa with Desiree Jewell-Adam, who is the Director of External Affairs at the African Women Entrepreneurship Cooperative. Desiree is passionate about breaking boundaries and inspiring women founders to rediscover and write a new narrative for Africa. Her work is synonymous with advocating for innovation, emerging technologies, and the startup ecosystem that fosters collaboration and sustainable relationships among women in the tech sector. Desiree, welcome to the show. I recall the first time that I got introduced to you by a common friend who knew that we both shared a common passion around gender lens investing. So I'm super, super excited that this is the moment that we get to, you know, talk about this on this show. But welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Hope. It's good to be here. I'm doing great. And it's I love the fact that we're, we're you know, we've come, come back to like full circle to talk about something that we're both passionate about. So thank you. Of course. I'm super excited for today's conversation, which will focus on your experiences and learnings around how it was being an entrepreneur operating in an African context and your most significant takeaways from using your voice to advocate for women-led entrepreneurship. But before we get into all that, we are going to play a little game called Rate This. Rate this, rate this, rate this, rate this. Now, Desiree, I'm going to name five things and I would love your thoughts on a one to five scale. One being meh and five being really, really good experience. What you would rate it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go for it. First one, your experience with fundraising. So this is a negative, so that's a minus <laughs> meh. <laughs> so it doesn't even make it to one, okay? Not at all. Facebook's are very bullish on this, which is the metaverse. One. Okay. <laughs> the gender pay gap. That's a two for me. Okay. I want to unpack that a little bit more in our conversation. <laughs> uh, Twitter spaces? Uh, I would say three. Okay. Are you a frequent user of Twitter? Not as much as uh, other people, but I would say, yeah, yeah, I, to, to some degree, yes. Okay, so you do your parts just to get I in there. I do my there. parts, yeah. And then number five, driverless cars. Yeah, so driverless cars is a five. Oh, wow. Why such a high rating? <laughs> okay, so I had, to ex- I, I had the fortunate opportunity to experience this when I was in Dallas, Texas a few years ago. Met a few of the team at Tesla and they have, you know, they were testing some of these automobiles and I got the chance to try a few for my birthday which is on the 14th of October I would say there was a little bit of tension in terms of you know getting into something where there's no one in control however in the UK we already have driverless trains that work uh, very light light trains that go between certain spaces or certain cities and so I have that exposure so it wasn't too bad that's that's, that's encouraging. I think yeah. for many people who are listening to this and are scared of any kind of robotic <laughs> introductions <laughs> into our world, I think you've just comforted them a little bit. So sure. Desiree, to get into the conversation today, I think the right starting point would be, you know, uncovering why you're so passionate about women-led entrepreneurship in Africa. What is it about your background and your history that really influenced your career trajectory to reach this point? I'm tempted to sing This is a Man's World because I feel like this is pretty much how the world is set up at the moment. Something that I I always start off or lead off with when somebody asks me or challenges me around that notion, I always ask them, if you think about the last festival that you went to or the last conference that you went to, think about the longest line that was waiting to use the restroom or the bathroom. It's usually the women's line. Okay. And why is that? I always ask who designed those toilets? That's the first question I ask who, you know, when they were coming up with the idea of having separate restrooms or bathrooms, who came up with that? I, I, I beg to kind of confer that it's probably a man. So I always think that the world is set up 
with a man in in, <laughs> in focus. Yeah. But I'll start with the easy part of that question where it refers to Africa. I was born and raised there to a South African mom. So she was born in Wayne, uh, Weinberg, Cape Town, and my dad was born in Kwekwe, Zimbabwe. So my roots are ingrained in Africa. But there's two main experiences that have shaped my foundational view on women-led entrepreneurship. And the first one is around when I was sent to the market at the age of about 10 or 11. And the one thing I remember, I had to go out and buy tomatoes, by the way. So I remember stepping out of our home and going to the market and seeing this row of women all selling tomatoes. And to me, they looked the same. Each one of the beautifully grown produce smelled amazing, looked amazing. But these women were all calling out for my attention and shouting out the reasons why their tomatoes were the best. So the first time I bought from one, but the next time I came back, I asked why I couldn't take like one from each of them. And they had a look of bewilderment on their faces. It's this, but this is just how I processed information at the time and thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a cooperative of these women coming together as a one company and selling these tomatoes? That's one, that's just one of the stories. The other one is my mom opened a dressmaking and design school in our home. So we had about 10 women coming to our house every week for about four years to learn how to sew uniforms for their children, shirts for their husbands and dresses for themselves. And I remember how they looked so liberated to have been given the skills that they put, well, when they first came in, didn't know how to, you know, sew on a button, for example. But by the end, they were now designing different kind of, you know, attire or apparel for their families. Wow. And in that moment, I just thought, can you imagine what we would do to empower more women to, to just be themselves and to to create and to innovate, right? Yeah. Then the third, I'll say the third thing, which is not really <laughs> connected, but I always go back to it. I'm not a, I, I don't follow the Zodiac that much, but I always think about my star sign, which is the Libra, because I was born on the 14th of October. I'm and a Libra, Libra as well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, which day? Which day? 2nd of October. The balance scales. <laughs> <laughs> and as you, like you said, the balancing scales, I think we have balance based abilities. Before I forget, Libra people are the most awesome people on the planet. Yes. Just saying <laughs> it to anyone listening out there. October born babies, we're amazing. So there's something that, say, that, that speaks to me about those balancing scales. And it is the only star sign in the zodiac that is inanimate so it doesn't have a human representation or an animal representation like pisces which has fish leo which has lion but in there amongst the qualities of that star sign is the idea of equity equality unity and social justice and for me that's a strong underpinning view for why i would want to support women entrepreneurs because again it's fighting for that equality, fighting for more unity and allowing them an equitable space to function. Yeah. So I hope that make, that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you've worked in a variety of sectors ranging from media and telecommunications to education and industry itself. Which among these experiences has proven to be the most valuable to you in the work that you do today to advance women-led entrepreneurship on the continent? I'll start by saying I've never had a linear career. So it's never been straightforward for me, but it's been a, a cracking job for me so far. I've always been curious about crossing the boundary fences, if you will, yeah. in anything and in everything. I always ask the question, is there another path to this? Is there another way this could be done? How can I be creative and innovative about whatever it is I'm experiencing? And so like Steve Jobs says, you count the dots backwards. And when I look back on all the sectors I've been in, I've been in 15 sectors in my career and now working with AWIC, I'm exposed to at least 40 plus of them. Wow. Every, <laughs> every experience that I've had has contributed in some way shape or form to where I am today. So it allows me the ability to see things from a very different angle or from a different perspective. Yeah. Um, when, when I think back on, for example, one of my earliest experiences, my first job in Zimbabwe was working for Insco Africa, and which is, you know, in one of their uh, flagship restaurants, sports diner in Zimbabwe. On paper, I wasn't meant to get that job. And if their HR and personnel team had anything to do with it, I wouldn't have. I was the only female candidate at the time. 
shortlisted among 12 gentlemen, all of whom had been to a prestigious like hospitality training school. And I had done like a distance learning course because my parents couldn't afford to send me to university. But I'd done like correspondence at the time. Little did they know that they were super rad, way ahead of their time. But how did I get the job and become the youngest restaurant branch manager in the country? Right At the time, I remember asking myself this question because, again, there was no Google Maps back then. I was nervous about getting to the place, to the restaurant, to go for this interview. So I decided to go the day before, figure the place out, find my way and try to imagine what the interview was going to be like. I remember I arrived, I decided to go in, get a meal and do the whole customer experience thing. At the time, I didn't know what that was. I was 19. But I remember being like walking into the space being mesmerized by the space, the sounds, the smell, the food, the everything, got to speak to the team, the chef, and just enjoyed the day. And the next day when I came back for the interview, I remember sitting in front of the panel and they were kind of, they were, they were not too happy that I didn't have the typical hospitality experience. And I know they wouldn't have given me the job if it wasn't for the question that the, the manager at the time asked. And he just said to me, why should we hire you? at the end of the day. Tell us about your experience of working in the hospitality industry. And I remember saying, you know, I just took the story back to the day before and how I'd walked into the space and I explained everything about what I experienced. And that's how I got the job. So when I think about curiosity, I just think about, you know, again, I didn't want to have a linear career in my life. I wanted to just experience different things, not knowing where it was going to lead to or what it was going to mean for me at the end. But now I feel like I've come back full circle because I'm exposed to a thousand women entrepreneurs in AWAC. I'm exposed to 53 different countries that they represent and all of them are different industries. And every time I have to give feedback to these businesses, I have to look at it from different angles. So that's, I would say the whole, all of my experience is valuable and contributed to where I am today. Yeah. And to follow up on that, I think, you know, to somebody who's listening to this and says, wow, like you've spoken to over a thousand women entrepreneurs. What insights could you share in terms of what are those typical challenges that they are experiencing that is not contributing to the growth of their business or not contributing Mm -hmm. to their success as women entrepreneurs on the continent? Are we at a stage where there could be some early sort of learnings that you're able to share with somebody who's listening out there to say, hey, I want to back more women, but what are the unique challenges that women are facing currently who are trying to build solutions on the continent? One of the things I would say is, I always go back to this, the women, not just women on the continent, but again, because our focus is them. When, when, when people start businesses in Africa, it's not because they just woke up one day and decided, oh, I, I want to create an app for this thing, or I want to try and figure out what's the best way I can get more customers and whatever. It's always or predominantly around a necessity. It's trying to solve a specific problem that is happening. And I'm always fascinated when I hear the stories of the women that have started businesses. There's a hidden truth behind everything that they're doing. And I'll give you an example. One of our beneficiaries, her name is Charlotte Magai. She's from Kenya and she is the founder of Mukuru Clean Stoves in Kenya. She's a winner of Prince William's Earthshot Prize, which gives you a million dollars to, you know, progress your business. Oh, wow. So she That's just incredible. won that title over the weekend. Yeah. yeah so congratulations to Charlotte if she's yeah, listening congrats, to this. But Charlotte. She's, <laughs> so she's, I mean, she's, she's moved from, you know, from specific levels in her business to where she is now. She was Forbes under 30 at the beginning of this year. So she's done a lot. But when I remember when she came into the program, one of the questions that we, we she was asked was, why did you start Mukuru Stoves, Mukuru Clean Stoves? And it's because her daughter had burnt from, her two-year-old daughter had burnt from one of the, the stoves that they had at the time. And she want, she knew that the kerosene stove that they had was dangerous. And then she thought about how many other women have had to experience the same thing during their cooking you know, endeavors. And so this is how Mukuru Clean Stoves was born. But there's a, that's the story behind Charlotte's life. And there's so many others. I talk about the thousand in AWAC. There's millions of others across Africa that yeah. are doing the same thing, right? The challenges, when it comes to the challenges, boy, 
how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, we're talking about, you know, the socioeconomic cultural norms when, it, you know, that pertain to women. The fact that they have other things that they need to be doing outside of their desire to create a business, for example. So they've got the, you know, the, the, the family care duties that they have to see it, adhere to um, and see to. They have children that they have to look after. They have to ensure that you know, that there's the well-being of the entire home. And then each one of them has a dream. Each one of them has a desire to do something different with their lives or transform the communities that they're in. But one, access to capital, which is the number one barrier we find across AWAC whenever we ask the question. It yeah. is always the number one barrier. It's access to capital. So I, I don't even want to go, you know, deeper into that. But yeah. the other thing is infrastructure in its in itself across the globe across africa sorry is is a big barrier too and then access to the the knowledge the tools and the resources so sometimes you know it's easy to brush that aside yeah but the truth is and i, I don't mean to sound undiplomatic here but the truth is a lot of the times men get access to spaces that women don't necessarily you know do get they have access to networks and spaces that support their growth or support their ability to scale. Yeah. And this is what not just AWAC, but a number of other organizations across the continent are trying to change. Right. Yeah. So those are just small, you know, and then there's the day to day realities of things like you're in the middle of a meeting with your client and the power goes out. And that means your Internet goes out and that's it. You can't continue the conversation. Yeah. And they're having to deal with this stuff on the go. So there are tiny bits of realities that happen on the in the day-to-day -day that we might even ignore or overlook. No, I think that's quite important because what's interesting about your perspective, right? So if I look at the parameters that you've mentioned, there's access to capital, access to networks and markets, as well as infrastructure challenges, which on the one side, they are shared by entrepreneurs on the continent right but there's mm -hmm. a case to be made that the impact is felt more deeply by certain types of minority groups right yeah. on the continent mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. to your point when you add that socioeconomic context it just further exasperates the inequality that people are experiencing through the same structural issues that hit everyone so I think that's quite an interesting perspective so well, thank you so it. much for sharing that <laughs> do you think the continent is moving the needle on addressing some of these issues around access to capital and access to sort of networks and markets for women with players like yourself do you think there's just a lot more that is happening since your time working in this space or more could be done so I won't lie I think there is you know th there's a lot of organizations individuals across the globe that are trying to tackle these issues I just feel like there should be more done. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think the needle is moving fast enough. And the reason why is if I circle back to the first story that I mentioned about going out to buy tomatoes for my mom, it's the, the women are still sitting on the side of the road selling tomatoes today. And so... And this is this is for me, this is my view, this is my experience. So it might be different for other people. But I still wonder, why are we still here? Why do we still have an issue with 600 million people across the continent that don't have access to light, for example, the very basic things, or water, clean water, not just water, but clean water. It's those things that I'm like... Ugh. We, we could there's there's so much more that could be done and when i say it i'm thinking about what's going on across the west where people are you know shooting rockets into mars so if we can do stuff like that then surely we can start tackling some of these things at a faster at a faster rate than we have been over the few decades that have gone by i think you know one thing maybe to wrap up this part of the conversation is what is your view on Number one, just the role that activism, activism plays in entrepreneurship, right? And the importance of being able to kind of encourage sort of activist efforts in the way mm -hmm. that we see entrepreneurship advancing on the continent. And I think we've seen sort of good examples of where this can happen, but also in certain areas like in the Middle East where there's restrictions on what women can and cannot do, right? So there's much uh, more of the legal things that play into that socioeconomic contrast and what it means for people 
who are listening to this in terms of what is the quick win, right? What if I'm an investor listening to this or a founder listening to this? What could I do today to advance women-led entrepreneurship? Any quick win items that you're able to share for that audience or list or audience member that is keen to do something about it, but they're like, ah, oh, it seems like a massive undertaking, right? Where do I start? <laughs> yeah, it is a massive undertaking. You're right about that. I'll start with the what you can do as a founder. So always within your community, every, we can all do something, right? I'm very passionate about seeing the cooperative grow. I'm passionate about seeing partnerships and people collaborate. And that's where my I think that's where I'm very I'm I'm more focused on trying to get people to work together. So one of the old adage proverbs we have or sayings is around teaching somebody how to fish, right? I'm not a fan of that statement. I'm more a fan of teaching people how to own the pond where they are based. Oh wow, right? okay, that's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Could so you elaborate I, a bit on why you're not in the fan of, of the the former and prefer the latter? <laughs> yeah, no, it's because for me, teaching someone how to fish is literally just giving them the tool for the end product. Okay. I'm more a believer that we need to own the entire value chain from start to finish. And so for the women that I refer to that sell the tomatoes, owning the value chain for me is owning the land on which you grow the stuff, owning the seeds that go into the ground, owning the ability to harvest and then manufacture beyond the actual tomato or the end product. So byproducts that come from there. So processing things into other value add products and then owning the logistics that take that stuff to market and then owning the relationships with the markets that you are selling in, right? So that for me is what, what would make me happy? That's the idealist, Desiree speaking. And for that to happen, there needs to be a concerted effort. I can't do it on my own. It requires a cooperative of people. And by the way, in Africa, we already have these cooperatives happening yeah. at a community level. But I feel like investors can come in and support the cooperative effort. And I would be remiss to not mention there's Afawa, which is Affirmative Action for Women uh, by AFDB, Africa Development Bank. They just put out a call which ended on the 25th of November to support ecosystem enablers or what do you call it, um, like digital innovation hubs that can support women entrepreneurs to get finance. And one of the criteria for the actual call was that you had to apply with multiple partners. You couldn't apply on your own as an organization. You had to be with other, other actors on in that grant proposal. And I think sometimes that's where we should be challenged. When an investor comes in, we certainly want your money. But I think sometimes the criteria is around challenging people to work together rather than in silos. Yeah. And so it goes both ways. As a founder, I'm always asking the question, you might be a pharmacist in healthcare in this part of the community, but I bet you not too far from you is another pharmacist trying to do the same thing. So how can you come together, partner up and create something bigger than what it is that you intend for yourself? Right. And then on the other side, as an investor, I would love it if invest because, again, they pool their monies, they create syndicates. Right. And, and invest in certain areas or criteria that priorities that are aligned with what it is that they want to uh, champion. And so I ask, you know, can we create a criteria where, you know, as for funding to be given, can you start collaborating as founders? Come to us as a multi-partnership, which we can fund. Yeah. Those are, those are my quick wins. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And I hope it does inspire some ideas and thoughts to somebody who's listening to this, because I do think this is one area that is quite nascent across the continent, just funding on the continent. We're still at the mm -hmm. earliest stages where there's a lot of opportunity to actually reform it in a way that emerges into an industry that's equal, right? Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. You have experience across the continent in terms of seeing multiple different types of businesses and innovations across the continent. Would you say there are differences in what women are building across, you know, East and Western Africa, Southern Africa, anything that stands out across the different regions? You know, interestingly enough, I would say no. Okay. <laughs> and this is why the push for collaboration 
what might be different is the way in which they build whatever it is across the industry that they're in. So uh, every year we get at least 2,600 applicants. This year was interesting because we had 3,600 people apply for the program. Oh, Sadly, thanks for citing take... those numbers because it challenges the <laughs> pipeline issue. <laughs> so there is a pipeline there. There yeah. is a huge, yeah, there is. And I mean, the, the need is great. The need is massive for, for women who are striving to get the tools and the knowledge that they want to in, in order to build their businesses. But out of those applicants, we can only pick less than 10% of that, which yeah. is, a, which is a, sh- a shame, right? But we, all, we see patterns and this is, we're going into our sixth year of applications, but across the board, we see patterns that have emerged usually in the top five industries are the same or similar across okay. the board. Use agriculture comes at the top, healthcare comes at the top, education, and we're seeing a- a- apparel, beauty and cosmetics. Those okay. are the ones that always make it to the top five. However, this year was interesting because there was a flip between healthcare, which used to be like, like at the top, like second or first. It was way below the five. It was just at number six or something. And something which replaced it was professional services. And then IT and technology. So clearly we are seeing shifts of people responding to the market, particularly after COVID or during COVID. But at the same time, whenever we have, let's say, agriculture, it might be 90 businesses that we select to go into the cohort with agriculture. Out of all of them, it's either they're going to be doing food processing or they're going to be doing subsistence farming to some degree and similar stuff. We always then try to, that's where I, again, I'm not there to inform the team about how it's supposed to be done, but it builds my perspective of how, okay, imagine if we could band at least half of these these businesses together and make it into one. Can you imagine what comes, what would come out of there? Now, again, bearing in mind, this is across different countries, right? But at the same time, the same challenges, the same frustrations that we've heard from women in North Africa is similar to the stuff we've heard in women in South Africa. So okay. we try to, in the program, we are very deliberate about when we take the 200 women, we split them into groups of 10. And these women are across different industries and they're able to share best practices from their industry. So you'd have a group of 10 that are in fashion, apparel, uh, cosmetics, healthcare, and they're able to speak from a different perspective and kind of give insight to someone else in a different industry. And at the beginning, it seems like counterintuitive, like what can a person in fashion learn from someone in agriculture? But sometimes it's about the systems. Sometimes it's about the way they approach a client or how they, you know, the channels they use to get clients. And that is where I see the gold dust of of what we do. That is when we're like, okay, this is where you can find innovation, right? This is where you can find some sort of creativity and this is how things are born. But initially, they are pretty much, it's it's similar across the board. And it's quite interesting because I think more broadly, that is where the continent is, right? In terms of, to your point, there's similar problems in each of the regions and therefore the similar innovations that founders are building for. But now there's an interesting opportunity to say that it doesn't necessarily mean if you are based in South Africa that you need to build a Pan-African business by setting up the solution yourself in all these markets, right? You could identify other players who are doing something similar and, you know, pool your resources together, your networks, your learnings to be able to have that Pan-African growth, but through partnership. And it can be in the same industries, but to your point, in different industries, right? And I think it's quite exciting just to see entrepreneurs being more intentional about these kind of conversations. But to your point, like different ecosystem players actually cultivating space for entrepreneurs to identify these opportunities, which I hope it's something that will continue. And, you know, just on your experience of different women who are building, do you believe that the bigger draw for their path towards entrepreneurship is more due to that economic 
necessity? Are you also seeing profiles of women building because of that self-actualization and just, you know, being able to kind of grow their own sort of social status as entrepreneurs and obviously then using it as a ripple effect to inspire next generation of women? Are we moving away from pure necessity to sort of, I just see myself as an entrepreneur, right? Because it wasn't an option that was available for me. Oh, we are still yet too early for that type of aspirational aspect of of entrepreneurship. I love the word you use there, self-actualization, which I think is the age we're in at the moment. I think on a global perspective, not just for women, but for the individual themselves, particularly coming out of COVID where people realized, hey, like I don't need to sit in an office (laughs) nine to five. Now, guys, I'm not advocating for you to leave your jobs. Just saying this is pretty much like what we see has been coming out of the pandemic, right? So self-actualization is a huge word and there's a whole push to personal development and changing the way and transforming your life, basically. But on the continent, I think to a degree, I would love to jump up and down dancing and saying this is a this is what's happening to a large extent. But if I think about the average entrepreneur. The average entrepreneur across Africa is the one that is still, you know, me, myself and what I can do for my family and maybe to my, my, the closest people in my nucleus, right? I would love to be able to say we have enough of these women coming forward with the self-actualization need to kind of create something bigger for themselves. There are quite a few. I wish I could count how many they were, but in reality, in the grand scheme of things, not enough. I think it's also important, though, to champion those women. They're coming out slowly but surely, but it's so important that we try our our hardest. That's why I love being in the media is to to find the stories that can kind of, uh, what's the word, inspire other women, motivate other women to do the same. There's a book called Founding Women. I hate to champion this because I'm actually in the book, but it was (laughs) written by uh, Eunice Bagumapo. She's a technologist. She's a woman that focuses on gender lens pay and gender lens gap, gender lens investing. But she wrote this book about six years ago, and she was talking about the women who are championing tech in a different way and literally talking about self-actualization. So we have people like, what's the lady who does Apps Africa? Rebecca Enonchong, yes. she's in there. She's in the book. And we've got Temi Giwa. She's yes. the one who did LifeBank. Yes. She's in the book. And we've got someone who's done Bakula Power. So we've got amazing women that are in this book talking about, you know, doing things from a different, like different perspective and coming out a little bit more in industries where you wouldn't expect to find, you know, women in that space. So we need to have more, like that book should be printed and put on every desk (laughs) in every school, particularly for the women, because that's where you get the inspiration to believe that I can do this. Like this is possible. I always go back to my, when I was in primary school and think about, I wish somebody had told me about manufacturing and logistics and supply chain back then. Maybe I wouldn't have listened, but if I was exposed to it, who knows? So we need more people in those spaces. We need more people in infrastructure. We need more people who are technologists again. But the question I ask again, when we talk about technology, do we have the infrastructure to back it up? Yeah. Right. So yes, we are seeing the trend towards it. I think there's, it's, it's a lot more prominent in the West, but I do see a few women trying to champion this so that it's not about you know we're starting businesses out of necessity but there is a need for creativity there's a need for innovator and we can stand at the global level and say we're also players in this field i love how you talked about self-actualization became much more appreciated i think post-covid and i think another thing that also grew in importance was just mental health in general. Mm. What is your view on how important mental health is to you personally, but also in the walk of an entrepreneur's life and how they are able to be the best version of themselves in order to scale the business that they need to scale? 
I'm going to put a disclaimer here. So while I'm a trained counsellor, I trained many years ago, I'm not a trained psychologist. So my thoughts and suggestions in this part of the discussion are entirely mine. <laughs> and I would encourage anyone yes. who might need mental well-being support to seek the help of a licensed professional. So I have to put that out there. So all of this experience and everything I talk about is mine. But mental health and well-being for me has everything to do with my internal processing system right and i've got to be intentional about shaping up my mental side and it's it's a work in progress this is what i always say the road to success the road to fitness the road to personal and professional growth the road to entrepreneurship is always under construction it's the same thing for mental health everything we're doing today yeah. is part, what I'm even now having this conversation I had to go back into my diaries from way back in the day to figure out why I'm here today and why I'm the right person to have this discussion right but there's a few things that have played a huge role in where I am and how I address mental health and well-being for this journey number one declutter so for me it's about simplifying my state of mind so that I don't burn out or that I don't burn mental, emotional and physical energy. As an entrepreneur, I'm going to give you an example. If you take your smartphone, there's a number of apps that you don't use regularly, but you'll be surprised to know that they are still running in the background. Yeah. They actually drain your battery, right? There's thousands of images and videos that we capture on our phones for whatever reason. They slow down your phone battery. It's exactly the same with your mind and how your body works. We're carrying a lot of stuff that requires decluttering. And when I say, I'm, I'm trying not to say it in a flippant way, because I know it requires a deeper understanding and a deeper research and a deeper conversation. But we've got to think about the things that we're carrying, particularly as entrepreneurs, particularly as women entrepreneurs, yeah. right? We, it's like we're carrying the weight on our shoulders for the bulk of time that we exist. And as an entrepreneur, if you add the pressures of the day-to-day, -day, I'll, I'll give you an example of, you know, when we were, were operating as AWAC through COVID, one of the challenges that was presented to us was, so I know I need to lay off my staff, but I, as a mother, I know that my receptionist, the guy that does my customer services has got children. Yeah. How do I, how do I let them go? I'm struggling with that. You know, and what can I do to support them in the meantime? It's those those things that we never like those little nuanced things that we never think about. Yeah. Right. And then the women who were in education over in the West are like, yeah, just go online, like take your courses online, take your teachings and your learnings online and make people, you know, let the students log in online. And they're like, yeah, I can do that as a business owner. But guess what? The kids in my neighborhood don't have access to the Internet, let alone a laptop or anything like a tablet. How yeah. do I translate digital to them? So it's those little things that they were carrying. And yeah. I remember it was the support of the network that actually, you know, got them through. But I'm always thinking about, as we came through COVID, we're expected as human beings to just keep moving forward. I, I wonder if any of us have had the chance to actually deal with the impact of COVID in our lives. Yeah, That's the question I ask. And then add to the fact that as an entrepreneur, you may have actually lost your business fully from start to finish. You may have lost colleagues, peers in that time. And we're still expected to keep moving. That in itself is, is the challenges that we have to deal with on a day-to-day, -day, yeah. right? After uh, During COVID, I had to make this decision. After 20 years, I moved out of London. I was tired of the lights and the noise and the traffic and everything. Yeah. And I moved to the seaside because I wanted that peace. I wanted that calm. And then I thought, if ever, God forbid, another yeah. lockdown happens, at least I'm at by least. the seaside. Yeah. Right. A couple of things I also did. Stop reading newspapers and watching the news. <laughs> there's, honestly, there's no better way to be depressed than read and hear the news. Now, this is not to say you shouldn't be informed, but there's other ways of being informed. Yeah. But this is for me, how I'd, I stopped reading newspapers and watching yeah, the just news. Just being more intentional about what you are consuming and when. Had to be. Yeah. Had to be. Had to be. So 
Yeah, that's been, that's, that's me. Again, as, as entrepreneurs, one of the things that we know, we talk about often, it's a very lonely journey. Yeah. It's a very, very, and you can be surrounded by a network. Don't get me wrong. You can have a full network around you, but your particular experience, there's absolutely no one that can understand it fully. Yeah. And it requires your ability to unpack that experience in a way that allows you to then find a way to to deal with the impact of your of your of your journey and then as you unravel certain things you know i always say somebody who appears to you and and says they're depressed depression doesn't happen overnight it's a combination of things that has happened over a long period of time and in order to unpack that you need to sit with someone who knows how to ask the right questions to bring that out of you and then to figure out what do the next steps look like so that we don't come get to this place yeah. again. Yeah. So mental health, I can talk about it all day. <laughs> yeah, no, but thank you so much for sharing what you have because it's incredibly, incredibly an important aspect of just entrepreneurial success and health, right? And I think it's one of those things to your point where when people think about being a great entrepreneur, you're optimizing for things around your business, access to capital, access mm-hmm. to networks. But if you aren't necessarily investing in yourself in some of the practical tips that you shared, like making sure that you're decluttering, making sure that you're able to always take all the complexities that present themselves, which some are emotional, mm-hmm. others are logical, mm-hmm. and being able to say, what is the name? step and whether through working through that with a trusted thought partner with a psychologist or someone to just help you work through that in time then I think it does put just your efforts at risk right because you are you are your business as an entrepreneur so thank you so much for sharing just how you tackled it and some of the learnings from that as well Two more questions that are a little bit in a different direction. Mm -hmm. But now that we have you here, I think it'll be just great just hearing more (laughs) of your perspectives. The first one is, what is the best advice you've ever received from an industry peer? Maybe just to throw in a woman industry peer. And and why was that the best advice you've received to date? That's tough because you've now flipped the switch. <laughs> um, and I say the reason Just why is because things up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I say that's tough is because I've actually had like my mentors. Ninety nine percent of them are actually men. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's it's tough, but I, I will I will what I'll do is I'll pick the person that has actually you know influenced a lot of my life, which is my mom. Okay. She is an entrepreneur. So I'll take it from her, yes, from her perspective. Yes. So she's an so, industry peer <laughs> who happens to be family as well. <laughs> so the one thing she said to me was, don't even trust me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But, and she, she she waited until I was at an age to like understand and unpack that, you know, you know, I, you, you have to be at a certain age to understand that sentence. And she said, you know, if there is something you feel from within that I might be stopping you from experiencing, go do it and prove me wrong. Love that. So I've, I've you know, it was scary when I heard it coming from her because she's my mother. Yeah. Who else would you want to trust me exactly. than your mother? <laughs> but she, and for me, that is wisdom. That is foundational wisdom. And I don't know how many other parents would be able to say something like that to their children, but yeah. it freed me from the need to achieve based on her, her own yeah. desires and dreams, right? So there was, it's always played in the back of my mind. Um, that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I've carried with myself and then I'm gonna switch and say because my father (laughs) also played a role because he supported my mom in our entrepreneurship journey that's actually quite a an important point right yes that's often not talked about in terms of just any entrepreneur as a baseline but I think even more importantly for women given sort of a lot of expectations that they carry in a family contract construct and it only becomes possible if you have a supportive family right that allows you to go on that pursuit what did your father's support look like that you feel really moved the needle in creating an enabling environment for your mom to go about her entrepreneurial pursuit what i loved about both my parents actually they were a product of two shifts 
So my paternal and maternal grandfathers were chefs. My paternal grandfather was the head chef for the Zimbabwean army for 20 years. And my maternal grandfather was the head chef for Cape Town University for 19 years. Oh, wow. Yes. And so the two of them, growing these two young children, they kind of instilled in them the the love for food. That's pretty much why I love food, I guess. But at the same time, it means when my dad married my mom, there was no, oh, you've got to do the cooking because you're the woman in the house. No, they used to fight to cook. (laughs) (laughs) And my my late brother and I would just sit there and like, we'll just wait for the plates. Like (laughs) when you guys are done, just bring the food, right? Yeah. But in that, that's where I saw, and then again, my dad left for the army. He joined the army when he was 17. Okay. But he grew up understanding the need for independence and the need for supporting his family, as in mom, dad, his sisters, siblings, and all that. Yeah. And then he brought that experience into our our home. Yeah. And whenever there was a discussion or a conversation about what my mom wanted to do, He was there 150%. He would sit there and say, right, what does this look like? Let's make a plan. How can I support you? Where do you need the money from? Where do you, you know, and they would sit out. I would watch this, you know, growing up. He was always the foundation that my mom could stand on. Yes. Regardless of what, you know, again, there is failure that happens along the, 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 the process of being an entrepreneur. That is normal. That's normal part. And he normalized failure. He would yeah. ask us the question, what have you done today to fail, right? Yeah. Because again, that that helps you, it validates you as a person because just because you failed in one area, it doesn't mean that you are now defunct as a human being. It's just a one area that you tried to experience and it didn't work. So he was the foundation that she stood on to be able to do all her pursuits. There was a study done by Endeavor in the US around creating or fostering an eco entrepreneurial ecosystem. You can have all the frameworks from government regulations and policies that can sort support a woman entrepreneur. But if she doesn't have the support from her nucleus, which is her family, mm. that is it makes it even harder for her to succeed. Yeah. Right. And so I saw that with my father and my mother. Yeah. And he, one of the things that he allowed me to kind of clip uh, what would you call it free my wings there are no right or wrong decisions yeah that's one of the pieces of advice he gave me there are no right or wrong decisions there are just decisions and each one that you make will have its own reactor or we can call it feedback and some of the feedback is unfavorable to your own expectation wow but it's your response to that feedback that will determine your next steps or outcomes. Wow, that's beautiful. That is <laughs> that is really beautiful. So yeah, those are those are those are two two pieces of advice I could say. They they were they were foundational for me. There are two others that I wanted to give to the women or to the founders that yeah. might be listening Please here. Go this ahead. is professional advice. And the first one was given to me when I turned 19 and I got that first job at Sports Diner. This was from Tamsanga Mklanga. And he, at the time, being the person that he was radical enough to take someone like myself who had no experience whatsoever in the industry, this is one of the things he said to me I had to learn. Any fool can make money. On a Friday, it's the Monday and Tuesday that count. So that is, if I unpack it, it's talking about sustainability as a business or as a business model that you you design, whatever it is that you design. So simpler terms, if you are able to sell ice cream in summer, that's, that's great. That's a given. That's normal. But if you're able to sell ice cream in winter and on a rainy day, that's gold dust for your company. Yeah. So whatever it is that you're building, be mindful of the the, the downtime. You know, be be mindful of not being able to make money in certain seasons and try to figure out how best you can create a model that does. Yeah. That's that's the one. And then the other one, anyone can do what you do, but no one can be who you are. So this one is to combat the fear that often women feel about how a market might be saturated and they think, well, there's already people who are designing this kind of outfit or this kind of technology. Mm. 
how do I play in the same market? But I always ask the question, that might be the case, but Jimmy Choo and Christian Louboutin came into the market when shoes already existed. <laughs> they just added their twist on it. So just remember, anyone can do what you do, but no one can be what, who you are. Yeah. There's a huge, if you unpack that, it allows you, it frees you to go out and experience, you know, how you want to kind of show up in the world. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think the final question is, you know, we've talked about profiles of women to kind of dispel the myth that they aren't women building. We've talked <laughs> yeah. about some volumes to dispel myths around lack of pipeline. We've yeah. talked about challenges that women face and how they are specific, unique challenges that women would face versus male entrepreneurs. And even some quick wins around what people should be considering, both investors and entrepreneurs, in terms of really advancing women-led entrepreneurship. You sit in a unique vantage point of knowing about the challenges, the opportunities, and working with so many women right in your career. Yeah. What is the one thing that truly makes you optimistic about the future of women-led entrepreneurship across the continent? If there's Ooh. one thing you bet on, what is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> there's so many other things, but I'd say for me, I think like we've we've unpacked it in the conversation. It's the stories of transformation and impact. Okay. That we see on a day-to-day -day basis, not just in Eric or in our cohorts. Yeah. I think it's across the board, even here on the Africa Precede podcast, the people that you've interviewed, for example, Tayo Akinyemi, she's phenomenal when it comes to the ecosystem and what is what exists in the in the you know in the space. I think we have so many stories of not just founders all the stakeholders that play a part or play a role in the ecosystem. There's one thing I always say, we have the old adage that says it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. However, my extension to that is it actually takes a village to raise a woman in entrepreneurship. Yes. It takes a village to raise an adolescent and it takes a village to raise a business. And without the support from the stakeholders within the ecosystem, there's no way that these women would be able to do what they're doing. So, and within the ecosystem, there are women that are doing that. They are supporting these women entrepreneurs. So it's those stories of transformation and impact. It's the stories of a stakeholder that is supporting a woman entrepreneur that allows me or gives me the hope that, yeah, we're on the right track. Desiree. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show and sharing your journey and insights with us. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Hope. So much to everyone who's been listening and hanging out with us. If you heard anything on today's episode that got you thinking, we'd love to hear what's on your mind. So ping us on social media at hashtag African Preseed Podcast or email us at hello at African That is it for now and catch you on the next one.